Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. All right. Y'all look good today. Not that y'all don't look good every day, but y'all look good today. Um, I sent a thing out on Facebook this week on, on social media. I said, how do you know that you know that you know God? Um, I think for so many of us, we, we think we know who God is and we know who Jesus is, but how do you know? Like, how do you know that you know? But not only that, how do you know that you know that you know? Because here's the thing, it's one thing to know God, it's one thing to to, to, well, I know I know God, but it's another thing to know that you know, that you know God. I know all the grammar nerds are like, that's, that's not grammatically correct, but it's okay. I, I fail grammar class, so it's okay. Uh, but how do you know, how do you know, how do you know, how do you know that you know? I'm going to grab my notes here. I just want to have a conversation with you today, if that's okay. Um, and I'm going to let John... The, revel- the Relevator really speak to us today out of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to break down this passage to you out of 1 John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, how do you know that you know that you know? For so many of us, um, some of the answers on social media was, like, I just know. And that is true. It says when we are saved, that, that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he is a witness. He's an eternal witness that we are God's child, that, that we are saved. That is true. Some people say, well, I, I can, I communicate with God. And so I know that I know Jesus. And that is true is also scripture says that, that we are his sheep and his sheep know his voice, right? Some people say, well, I just know because God has done so much in my life that I'm transformed. And that is also true that when you come to know Christ Jesus, there's a transformation that happens in your life. You are no longer the person you were. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, and here in a little bit, we get to do a baptism. Super excited about that. And that's symbolic of that new life. That's symbolic of that new, new beginning and, 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 and something that, that sprung up in you. And, and some other people said, well, I think I know who God is. I mean, sometimes I pray and it sounds like he listens sometimes. But how do you truly know that you know that you know? Well, John breaks it down for us in John chapter 2. He tells the people of the church do you really know who the Lord is? I mean, do you really understand who he is and what he's done in your life? And how do you know that you know that you know? He's, he's writing to the church. He says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you. So he's writing it to this dear, dear, dear children so that you will not sin because, right? Because of what he wrote in verse eight. You don't have that up there. But he says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And then he goes, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So he's, he's expounding on that truth. And then he goes, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Now, as we dive into John here, he's really going to take a shot at how we treat each other as believers. His whole letter here and this whole chapter is talking about how we treat each other as believers because sometimes the church doesn't act like the church. So some people should say amen, right? Sometimes a church misses the mark. Sometimes a church sins against every, every other people. But I want, I want to point out something here. In verse, in, chapter, in verse 2, he says, He himself, Christ Jesus, is sacrificed that atones for our sins, right? Not only our sins, but also the sins of the world. That's everybody else's sins. And so if he has atoned for my sins and he has atoned for your sins, then who am I to hold you for the sin that you do against me? He's, God has forgiven their sins even against you. And sometimes I think we, we as believers kind of take the point of, well, I know God's forgiven me of the sins I've committed against him. And he's forgiven me for the sins that people, the other people have committed against him. But has he really atoned for the sins that they've done to me? That this person that hurt me did for me? He atoned for their sin too. And so we have to realize that. And out of that, we have to forgive. And that's really what he's talking about here. And I know today some of you don't want to forgive. Some of you want to hold that grudge because it hurts. And I get it. I've been there. I've had bitter roots in my life, and then let me tell you, those bitter roots seep down into your soul, and they eat you alive. So John here is telling us, you got to get rid of those bitter roots. you got to get rid of it. you gotta, you got to forgive. You have to love one another as Christ loved you. And he continues in, verse, in, chapter th- in verse 3, and we can be sure. So how do we know that we know that we know that we know? And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Oh, what's that? Like all of them? <laughs> like if, I, if I miss one, does that mean I don't love him? Well, he says this. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. <laughs> but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. By our, our, by our obedience, by loving him. Those who say they live in God, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So my question, friends, have you embraced his grace? Have you really embraced his grace? And have you embraced other people like God embraced you? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I'm telling you, if you've been transformed by Jesus and he's came into your life, and you're being transformed daily. That's what scripture says. We're being transformed more and more into the, like, into the likeness of our master, Jesus Christ. And, and you understand his grace, and you truly know him, then you're going to want to live the way Jesus did, because you're getting, you're getting more transformed into his image. And then he goes on in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm, t- I'm telling you this is friends now. First, he was your children. Right? He's like a father correcting his children. Now he's the word to friends. He goes, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, it's an old one you have heard from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living in it. 
For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. And then nine, if anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. How many people have I talked to that the church has caused them to stumble? Not the church made them stumble. It's not that they pushed them down, but they caused them to stumble. Because in the church, we get it wrong sometimes. In the church, we act far less than what we should act like. We don't really live in the truth because we're all human, right? We all have emotions that sometimes we can't control. Well, a lot of time we can't control. Uh, and we have, and we get hurt. And as you know this, hurt people hurt people, right? We're all hurt. It's like this song. We're all, we're all broken in some way, but God's putting us back together. And God's making us who he wants us to be. And, and so I want to ask you that. Who are you not forgiven? Who are you holding a grudge against that you need to let it go and let God restore that? Who in your life do you need to give grace to and mercy to? Because as John says here, if we don't, then we're living in darkness. We've fooled ourselves that we're not truly living in the way that God asks us to live. You see, here's the thing about darkness. In the darkness, I only see an outline of the true reality. How many of you have watched a scary movie at night with your kids, maybe when you were younger? Um, I know you're all saved. You don't watch those things. But, uh, you know, uh, maybe you've watched a scary movie or a movie that's kind of suspenseful. And you go to bed at night and you turn the light off and you kind of can't sleep anyway. And you look over and you see on the wall an image. And you're like, I know that's the person that was in the movie. They're going to kill me, right? They're going to get me. Or it's the monster. Or, you know, if you have little kids, they see things all the time in their rooms. Because in the shadows, in the darkness, all you see is the outline and the image of something. And then your mind starts to fill in the blanks by what it knows and what it understands and what it comprehends. So if you watch a scary movie, automatically your mind is thinking, bad person, bad thing, run, right? But... If you quickly go turn the light on, you notice that that image, that scary thing that was in the corner was just your coat. And you're like, oh, that's just my coat. I'm going to turn my light off. But see, in the darkness, everything is skewed. In the darkness, we don't have a clear view of reality. And John is telling the people here, friends, if you don't see reality, if you don't see the full picture in people's lives, the full picture of forgiveness and the full, the full picture of what God has done in your life, you're not living in the truth and you're not living in light. You're living in darkness because you don't see the true view of what God has done. You don't understand truly what God has done in your life. Some of us need to turn the light on and let the shadows disappear. And we know, well, how do we turn the light on? Well, uh, it's just coming to Christ because Christ illuminates everything. I love C.S. Lewis. He wrote this in The Weight of Glory. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So as we as believers, as Christians, as Christ followers, how we see the world should be through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that's the only lens we should look through. And, and, and so often we as believers, we start to look through the world through every other lens except for the lens of Christ. Whether it be the lens of, a, I'm just going to go there, a political party whether it be the lens of what we think 
things should do and the way things should go. We look through the lens of how our family saw things. We look through the lens of our addictions and our bents and our pain. But really, as, as people of God, we should look through the lens of Jesus Christ. And through the lens of Jesus Christ, we get a better view of everything. There is no shadows. There's no shadows through Jesus Christ. There's nothing hidden from him. And so Christ is the very thing by which we see everything. And I want to reiterate in John 2, 10, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in light and does not cause others to stumble because you can help them see clearly as well. They're not going to fall by your darkness. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just going to say this, for those who have been hurt in the church today, and, and I, want to, I want to speak to you a little bit this morning. You're here, so thank you. I know it may have been a challenge to get here today because you don't want to, you don't want to put yourself out there again and get hurt. You don't want to join a small group. You don't want to go to a class. You just want to come here and worship and hear a message and go home, and you're afraid to get back involved in the church again. And I'm so sorry that you were hurt by people. You weren't hurt by God. I want to let you know that now. You were hurt by people, and people get it wrong sometimes. But also on the flip side of that, I'm going to kind of rough you up a little bit. So often I think we take correction and we, we, somebody comes at us to correct something and we take it as judgment. And we're like, well, that person's just judging me. Well, no, that person's correcting you because they see something in your life that, that's, gonna, that's going to hurt you down the road. They see something in your life that, that, that God wants to correct. And, and often we take it as judgment and really it's correction. Now, the person that's correcting you has a responsibility to come to you in love. And they have to have that relationship with you to correct you. Because if there's somebody that I don't know and they come to me and they tell me something, I'm like, I'm not listen, I don't know who are you. <laughs> You're just judging me, right? But if there's somebody that I know loves me and cares for me deeply, that wants the best for me, and they come to me and they share something with me and they say, Neil, this is not good in your life right now. I see it's causing you pain. It's going to cause pain in your life later. That's correction that I need. Scripture says the wounds of a righteous person are like sweet as honey. I know I just paraphrased that really bad. But he's saying it's better to be struck by a friend in correction than to be loved quietly by an enemy. See, a true friend can come in and correct you when things aren't right. And yet we can get so offended because somebody wants to correct something in our life that's not living up to God's standard or God's best for us. But they do it because they love you. When I correct my children, it's because I love them. It's not because I hate them or I'm judging them. I, I want what's best for them, and I want to bring out the best in them. For you who are parents, you understand this. When you correct a kid, it's showing love into them. Now, I know there's some of you who have been abused by your parents, and they didn't correct you correctly, and they, they did it out of frustration or anger. But if you oh, think somebody's calling me. I don't know who that is. But... <laughs> Maybe need some correction. I need some correction for not sawing my phone. But there's people that, you know, your parents maybe didn't, didn't correct you right. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. But know that, that God's correction, it may sting a little bit, but it's for your good. Yes. Scripture says that he chastises or he, he disciplines those which he loves because you're not illegitimate children. You're his children, and he loves you, and he wants to correct you. He wants to bring you into his best. And, and so I think as believers, we need to realize that sometimes God disciplines us. It's not pleasant, but it's to produce something good in our life. It's a pruning back so something better can grow. 
How many of you have rose bushes? Some of you, some of the guys are like, I don't know. The women up here, you know, you have a rose bush. And every year we have this rose bush in the front of our house. And if we don't trim it back, it, it just grows wild. And it, it's not as fruitful, right? There's not as many flowers on it. But every time we trim it back, the, the stems get thicker and stronger. And they're able to carry more. And there's more blooms on it every year. Sometimes God has to do that in our life. He has to prune back things that aren't producing so that good things can produce. We call that discipline. Same thing in your child. I didn't mean to go into that, but I'm just I'm helping you understand why we need to um, take correction and take it properly. And, and so when somebody comes to you, are you taking it as correction or are you taking it as judgment? And here's the best thing that you can do. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I see this in your life. You need to stop doing that. You need to put that down. You need to stop doing this because it's hurting you. Even if it feels like judgment to you, you should still take the pieces of it that are truth and say, okay, what, what about that did they say that I need to take heart and, and own? Because sometimes there's things that people come to you and you need to own, even if it's hard, even if it is judgment. There's some things in your life that people can see outside of your life. Now, nobody has a right to judge your motives. Only God can judge your motives because he's the one that really sees your heart. And that's what judgment means. That's when I, I'm judging somebody, I'm judging their motives. I don't know what all you've been through. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know where you get the decisions that you do to make the decisions you do, do make that are bad, that are wrong and outside of God's will. But what I can see is the fruit of that. And God does tell his people that we need to see the fruit in people's life and, and say, man, this is, God's got so much more for you. You're, you're negating God's, God's presence in your life because you're not willing to change and, and take the correction that God wants to do in your life. But as people of God, we need to realize that our role is not of the Holy Spirit's role. His role is to bring us up and to correct us, right? He's, he's the one that shows us why we're doing the things we do. But as believers, we do have a responsibility to hold each other at, at a higher standard, meaning that we have to be accountable for people. Like, I'm accountable for, for my wife. I'm accountable for all of you as the church, right? I'm accountable for you because I love you. And God has put me in that position to, as a pastor to see his people and to want what's best for them. As a parent, it's the same thing with your kids. You are accountable for them. Now, you can't make them do certain things because they have their own free will, but you're still accountable for their actions. You're still accountable for them. God has placed them in your authority to help raise up and rear. And so as believers, we need to understand our role as, as people of God to correct when the time is right and to not judge. And so correction is love. Judgment is not. And sometimes we judge people in the premise of correction. I'm just correcting that person. No, you're being a jerk, right? <laughs> it's like, no, you're judging them. You're like telling them, this is why you're doing it. You're a bad person. You're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. That's judgment. You're pronouncing a, a sentence on them. That's judgment. Correction is this. I find somebody, I love them, and I say, hey, man, I want to show you a, way, a better way. I want to show you a way out. Correction comes alongside and pulls up. Right. Judgment comes above and pushes down. Right. And so we need to understand that. So if you're feeling pushed down, it could be judgment, or it just could be your conscious saying you need to change and you're not wanting to. But you need to understand that sometimes people come to you trying to do the best for you and just not knowing the way to go. You know, you've heard the term that the church is a hospital, right? And not a social club. 
And, you know, there's some bad employees in the hospital. <laughs> I've witnessed some bad employees at the hospital. They, they've had a bad day. They've had a long shift. They don't, they, you know, and they're just done. And you walk in and they have no compassion for you. They're, you know, they, I had to have a surgery. This lady was just kept jamming the IV in my hand. I'm like, please stop, you know, but she was done. <laughs> so there's, there's bad employees in the hospital, but does that make the whole hospital bad? No. And sometimes we view that church that way because there's a few bad, you know, there's a few people that are having a rough day in church and they, they're dealing with things and then we judge the whole church by the, the actions of a few. In reality, if we see things through Christ's lenses, we understand that not everybody is like that in the church and that everybody has a past and everybody is growing and everybody is learning to grow in their faith. And John is reminding his people his friends, don't get angry at the church because there's a few bad apples. You don't chop the whole tree down because there's a couple rotten apples on limbs, right? You just take the apples off. And so we shouldn't do the same thing. We th shouldn't throw the whole church out because of a, a couple bad people. And I was one of those people. Growing up, I saw the TV preachers, right? And they were taking advantage of people and they just kept asking for more and more money so they could build this mansion and have a nice airplane and all these things. And I'm like, they're just taking advantage of people. They're not really giving them anything. And so I didn't want anything to do with a preacher or pastor or any of those guys. And God has a sense of humor, right? So, but God had to shake me and say, not all people are like that. Not all people are like that. There's some good pastors. There's some good, there's some good people out there. If you just look hard enough and it's not really, you got to look too hard. They're out there. And so we shouldn't judge the whole by a couple bad apples. Like 11 says, but anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and, and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. And so many people think they know Jesus, but really they just know a shadow of him at the most. They have a head knowledge of God, but not a heart knowledge of God. There's two things that, that kind of come here I talk about sometimes. We have thinkers and knowers. Now, this is our thinker. We think with this, right, our mind, but we know with our heart. You know, Scripture says that the God has put his law in our heart. That's our knower. We know what's right and wrong. We know what God's standards are. We just instinctually know because God has put those things in us. And so often we, we, we walk around using this all the time without engaging this, our knower, and so the challenge for us is, as people that are enlightened <laughs> is to stop thinking so hard and just start knowing, walking around in our knowing, nowhere. That's how we know. So how do we know that we know? Well, we stop walking around with our thinker and we start living out of our knower a little better. James 8 says this, or John 8. John records this run-in that Jesus has with these Pharisees. I love Jesus' run-in with Pharisees. Because sometimes I'm a Pharisee and I read this, I'm like, oh, I need to stop being that way. But John 8, he writes this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him. So these are people who believe in him. He says this, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. There's that obedience thing again. So John's kind of repeating that to his letter to the church. And he goes, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. <laughs> but... Get this, because the very beginning of 31 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, right? So these people believe in Jesus. 
And then they go, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not, permitted, is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, then you're truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father's Abraham, they declined, declared, and no, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would have followed his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. And they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. So Jesus told them, I just love how Jesus gets on to people. If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? Why don't you just get it? It's because you can't even hear me for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love the evil things he does. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, I'm the devil's kid. What? No, you're, you're following the example of your father, see? And here's what he's getting at. We follow what's in our DNA, and I can't help it, right? You see the commercials. We can't, we can't help you from being your father, your parents, right? But we can help you save money on insurance, you know? <laughs> you can't help that. It's like you try as hard as you can not to be your parents. And you think you're doing well, and then you go visit them, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm just like my mom. <laughs> That's where I get my crazy, right? And you can't help it. It's in your DNA, right? I, I never knew my father, like, personally. But my mom tells me, you, you just act just like him. You have all his characteristics. You do the same things he does. Because there's a DNA sequence. There's, there's a passing down that happens. And so Jesus is reminding his people, he's like, you're going to act like your dad. So who is your father? Is your father God? If your father's God, then you act like your father. You're going to have his DNA in you. You're going to start acting like he is. But no, you're not. You're acting like the devil because the devil hates the father and he wants to kill everything the father does. And you're trying to kill me. And so he says, you're acting like your true dad. So who's your daddy? <laughs> who's your daddy? For when he lies... Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So when I tell you the truth, you, are, you just naturally don't believe me. And which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you listen because you don't belong to God. He's saying you can't see clearly because you're living in darkness. If you look through me, the lens of light, you will see all the details. Like I said... So many of us have a shadow of faith and not the real faith. I had that for many years. It was a shadow of faith. It was something I thought was real, but I was chasing an illusion. I, didn't have, I wasn't fully surrendered to God. And, and, and coming to Christ is not just, is, it's, I say this all the time, it's more than just saying a prayer on a Sunday morning. It's, a, it's an ultimate surrender of yourself to Jesus Christ. Saying, you are Lord of my life. And, and for so many of us, the problem in our life is, is, is not really our emotional problems or our financial problems. We think those are our issues, but the biggest issue is we have a lordship issue that we don't allow the Lord to come in and be Lord of everything. And we wonder why those things in our life that we aren't surrendered to Christ, that aren't surrendered to Christ, never flourish. What's well, because you kicked them out of there. 
Let the Lord into your finances. Let the Lord into your health. Let the Lord into your emotional life. Let the Lord into your family, into your marriage, and see what God does. It's a lordship issue. And so many of us just need to understand that. And so John reminds us that if we truly know him and understand his love and what he's done for us, then our natural response is to live in love like Christ. Like I said earlier in during communion, Jesus was totally submitted to God. He said, I only do what my father does. I only, only say what I, what I hear my father saying. I only do what I see my father doing. That's a life totally in surrender. That's a life totally in the lordship of Christ. And we as believers should have the same attitude. And so I'm going to let John just preach to us the rest of this, of this message. And I'm going to finish up this, this passage in John chapter 2. And so he's addressing out of this, he's saying that your sins are forgiven. They've been atoned for by Christ Jesus. And, all, and it's like it's done. He's paid for it all. It's paid for. Don't worry about it. And then he's saying, if you really know this and you truly know Jesus, then you're going to live and love like Jesus. And then he reminds his people, his friends of this. And so he kind of reminds the whole, he goes, as we go on in this passage, he says, um, church or all of you, now dear children. So he's lumping everybody together. And he goes, and then in your Bible, it might say fathers and sons, but in, in the new living, it says mature and young, mature believers, young believers. And he talks about how we can, as people, remember to stay in God's will and to stay in God's love and to live in love like Jesus. And so verse 12, he says this, I'm writing to you who are God's children because you know, I put liberty in there, you know. How do you know that you know? That you know, because you know your sins have been, been forgiven through Christ Jesus. And so if you know that your sins have been given, forgiven through Christ Jesus, who are we to hold a grudge towards other people? So we need to forgive one another. So the question is, do you know that you know that you know that you're forgiven? Let's start loving. Let's start love people like it. Let's forgive like it. Remember the great cost that God forgave you of. And, and I'm telling you, probably the things that you're holding a grudge towards somebody is pretty small beans to what you've done. Know that God has forgiven you, and he's even forgiven them. The best thing we can do is try to make amends. And then he goes on. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith. So these are mature believers. They've been believers for a long time, right? They got the tattoo. They're good. Because you know Christ, because you know him, come on, because you know Jesus, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you, mature believers. I'm writing to remind you this, mature believers, because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. So he's saying, look, mature believers, Jesus holds everything together. He was here before you were. Like, you think you're somebody big, right? I've been, I've been in this church for 50 years, whatever. Jesus has been there a lot longer than that, right? He is above you. Don't put yourself above Christ. That's what he's reminding these people in John. He's reminding his church, look, you're nobody special. God is above you. Keep a level head so you can help the people below you and lift them up. Christ is preeminent. He's, he's above everything. So mature believers, we need to remember that. Jesus is the model. Let's model ourselves off Christ and not what we think is right or what we think should be. And you may think you're above these little ones, these new believers, but always be reminded that Christ is above you. Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the elders, not the staff, not you. 
Jesus is the head of the church. We just follow his example. And then he goes, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you know, emphasis I put on that, you know you have won your battle with the evil one. New believers, do you know what, that you've won? Do you know that you've won the battle with the evil one? I think so many of us as, as new believers, I mean, I, I've been fully surrendered to God for 17 years and I'm still learning this. Oh, you mean I've already won that battle? Yeah, you've already won the battle. Like God did it. When he said it was finished, it's finished. But yet we still live our life like we're fighting a battle, right? We still live our life like we're trying to take ground, like we're trying to storm the gates, but the gates have already been stormed and we're already sitting on top of the walls. Right. And we, we have a position there. Young believers, if you've given your life to Christ and you're following him, you have, you have the position of authority in your life. And don't give that up. So he's reminding these young in the faith, you have won the battle with the evil one. Don't give the enemy a foothold in your life. Don't open back the gates up and let him back in. If God has given you freedom and liberty in something, don't pick it back up. Because that's going to weigh you down and it's going to shackle you in a way that has never has before. Jesus talked about this example. He says, suppose somebody has a demon cast out of them and the, the demon wanders around in the desert looking for a person to occupy. He comes back and he sees the person that was cleansed from him and there's nothing else in there to fill that void. And so he's like, man, it's nice and clean in here. So he brings seven, seven of his buddies back and they inhabit that person and you're worse off than when you first began. And so for many of us, we've had addiction issues. We've had those things in our life and we've gotten out and we got kicked out and we, we gave them up and we were doing good for a while and then we let them back in. And guess what? It's twice as hard to get out. Jesus would say it's seven times as hard to get out of that addiction. Because now, not only is that addiction holding on to you, there's some things called guilt and shame and remorse and regret. Those things are also tied to you. And so I'm telling you, if you've got some freedom, don't walk back in. Do everything you can to stay away from it. Don't walk back in and give the enemy a foothold. And when someone treats you poorly or sins against you, don't let the enemy swoop in and tell you to not forgive that person. You got to forgive. Don't let the enemy come in and accuse you ever. The battle's won, guys. And then he goes again, I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. You know that you know you know the Father. Basically saying, we're in the same household, guys. We belong to each other. We are the children of God. We are brothers and sisters, and we should care for each other the way that brothers and sisters do. Maybe a little better than some brothers and sisters. <laughs> but we should see each other as the household of God. And we should know that we should have each other's back. If you're hurting, I'm going to pray for you. This morning, man, I had some people pray for me. I needed it. You know, and, and so we, we have people that we know that can come alongside and build us up and strengthen us like, like sons and daughters of the king. And then he goes this again. I have written to you who are mature in the faith again. And it's funny, the mature in faith, he just says the same thing twice. It's like, you should get this. You're mature because you know Christ, right? You know, you know him. So you should be loving like him, forgiving like him, living like him who existed from the beginning. Again, this is a double emphasis on mature. So he's saying, put your childish ways behind you. Stop acting like a child. Stop being selfish. Stop trying to get your own way and let God come in. Because I'm telling you, childish ways break fellowship. And you're breaking fellowship if you're not willing to make amends. At least try 
Sometimes those relationships can't be mended the way they were. I get that. But the best thing you can do is forgive them and love them like Jesus loved them. Well, how did Jesus love them? He died for them. He died for the very people that were hanging him on the cross. He washed the feet of Judas. That's hard. That's a hard thing. It's surrender. If you're mature, you understand this. And so if you're mature, you should also understand that you're not above anyone and you should use your wisdom to pull others up and not to push them down. So mature in the faith, you have, you've been there. You've fought the fights. You've, you know where the battles are. You know where the things, that, the things that are coming at people that are young to the faith. You have a responsibility to help pull them up, to come alongside and to pull them up. And then he goes, I have written to you who are young in faith because I want you to know you are strong. Do you know that you're strong, young believers? I don't, I don't care if you've given your life this morning to Jesus. When we're singing, I surrender, I surrender, God, you're strong. You have what it takes. Jesus gave you himself, so you have what it takes. You are strong. You, are, you, you stand at a place of strength in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be tossed and waved and, and pushed down. You are strong. He's saying, be strong, young people. Know that you are strong. Be strong, young in the faith. Don't get offended so easily. Endure other people who are immature. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because God's word lives in our hearts. And I want you to know, you have won the battle with the evil one. So, live free. Live free. Stop living like you have something to prove. My friends, that's the worst thing you can do is coming out of an area of your life trying to prove something to somebody that doesn't really matter. And and so many of us, we do that. We live our life trying to prove something, trying to prove that I'm good enough, that I'm better than somebody else, that I'm worthy of my spouse's love, that I'm worthy of my child's love, that I'm worthy of all these things. But I'm telling you, Christ has made you worthy and his and his approval is the only approval that matters. And it's the only one that's going to satisfy anyway. And if I wake up needing somebody's approval, if they don't give it to me, I've had a pretty miserable day. You need to wake up and knowing that you're approved by God and know that you've won the battle with the enemy. When he swoops in and tries to speak to you and tries to accuse you of things, that's when you say, okay, God, I'm listening to your voice, not his, because I'm your child. You're not my daddy. He is. I don't have to listen to you. You have no authority in my life. Get out of here. We know this, but yet we don't know this because often we don't live like it. So many believers live so underneath, underneath their privilege, so underneath their privilege. But when you understand what Christ has done for you, like John says, when you understand what he really truly wants to do in your life, that's when you start living where God wants you to be. And so often, guys, as believers, we treat people like God has done nothing for us. I mean, did God forgive you? Did God save you? Did God, does God like wake you up in the morning and text you and say, man, I remember what you did last night? No. Does God hold grudges? No, he forgives you because Christ paid it all for you. 
once and for all. Forgiveness of sins. So who are we to be above God and not forgive people? Therefore, because I know what Christ has done for me, because I truly know that I know that I know that I'm living in Jesus, I can't help but respond in the same manner that Jesus responded to me. So what can a believer do? What's the highest call of a believer? It's simply this. It's taking what Jesus has done for me and placing it on other people. What do I mean by that? If I take, Jesus, you've saved me, you've, you've cleansed me, you've made me free, you've done all this in my life, how on earth can I give you thanks? How on earth can I just say thank you? How can I worship you? It's by taking what Christ has done for me and then saying, you know what? I'm going to love the people that you put in my life. Like you love me. I'm going to show them the same grace and mercy that you showed me. And I'm going to walk up to them and I'm just going to pour your grace and your love and your mercy and your kindness on them. Whatever that looks like. That, that's the highest call of a believer is to love other people like Christ loved you. So why don't we respond that way? Because we probably don't know that we know that we know. We may just know that we know. <laughs> so believer, where are you today? Do you know? Do you know Christ? Do you think you know Christ? Do you know that you know that you know Christ? Are you living like it? Are you acting like it? Is God preeminent in your life? Or are you trying to be the king of all things? Let Jesus be the king in your life. Because to know him is to know that we are joined with him in Christ. To know him is to know that we are victorious through Christ. To know him is to know that we are family through Christ. To know him is to know that we are not spoiled children, but we are princes and princesses of God. We are his children. And we have everything that we need. We're not spoiled, we're thankful. To know him is to know that we are strong and we have what it takes. And to know him, to truly know him, to know that we know that we know we're free. There's no chains on me. We're free. We're truly free. And so the question for you today is, do you know that you know that you know of Jesus? What are some things in your life that Christ isn't Lord of? Give him ultimate control of that today.